dampen our souls for Jesus. Uh, our reading is Mark 14, verses 53 to 65. When I find it, here we are. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet, even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophecy! And the guards took him and beat him. May the Lord bless this reading. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. <laughs> <clears throat> well, we're continuing on in our series leading towards Easter. Uh, two weeks ago, we had Jews, of, Jews for Jesus here who took us through the Passover and the fulfilment uh, that Jesus uh, was to the Passover lamb. Last week we looked at Gethsemane and I, you know, from the feedback I've had, it was, yeah, I think it was, uh, it really touched a lot of us and I, I, I uh, yeah, I was really challenged in preparing that. And then this week we come to the trials of Jesus and uh, firstly we have here a trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. Next week we'll see the trial before the Gentiles and then, and then we'll move into the crucifixion and the resurrection. So let me pray and, uh, and we'll have a look closely at this passage. Father God, we do praise you that as we reveal through your word, as you reveal through your Holy Spirit in your word, uh, these last hours of Jesus, as we see the, the agony of Gethsemane, uh, anguish, sorrowful to the point of death, as we reflect on his, on his ar uh, arrest, his betrayal, the desertion of his followers as we open up to see the, the realities of the trial that's been put before him. 
from the people that should be your people and your leaders. Father God, we pray this morning that you open our hearts, that you convict us that perhaps we need to identify more with these people that put Jesus on trial than we would, than we would expect. Father God, reveal yourself now through your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think most of you would have heard what a kangaroo court is. Uh, it's an unfair, biased, hasty judicial proceeding that ends in a harsh punishment. It's an unauthorised trial conducted by individuals who have taken the law into their own hands. The Nazi regime were good at kangaroo courts, uh, even though uh, the kangaroo court was an authorised court in their regime. Uh, they were full of, uh, I guess, convictions which were just handed out uh, for the wrong reasons. Hans and Sophie Scholl were children in the 1930s. They grew up in the uh, Nazi regime. Uh, they grew up uh, like any kids in that time. They joined the Hitler Youth. Uh, however, their dad was uh, very much anti-Nazi, but he didn't stop them from being part of the Nazi activities. He wanted them to have an open and free mind to make decisions for themselves. He said to them, what I want most of all is that you live in uprightness and freedom of spirit, no matter how difficult that proves to be. Well, they became young adults, went to university, and started becoming disillusioned with the Nazi party simply because of the war that was going on, and they saw the, the terrible effects of it. So they started uh, an organisation called known as the White Rose, <clears throat> and they started distributing anti-Nazi propaganda. Uh, one of the the leaflets uh, urge the country to rise up, claiming the German name will be forever defamed if German youth does not finally arise, avenge and atone, if he does not shatter his tormentor and raise up a new intellectual Europe. Well, a, a school janitor noticed uh, Sophie distributing these or, or leaving these leaflets around, reported her to the authority. authorities, and her and Hans were arrested and were interrogated for three days. And then they came before a judge called Roland Freisler, who was known for his short trials and who had convicted 90% of all people that came before him to the death penalty. Well, their trial lasted for just one hour, and within six hours, they were executed. They were about 19 years of age at that time. So it was unfair, it was biased, it was a hasty judicial proceeding that ended in a harsh punishment. And while it was authorised by the regime, it refused due process, it ignored standards of justice. It was a kangaroo court. Well, this morning, we are considering the moment Jesus is condemned to death by the Jewish people and the ruling, ruling authorities. And it's a kangaroo court. There is conflicting false testimony the outcome was predetermined, the sentence extreme, and it ends in this terrible image of Jesus being spat upon, blindfolded, punched, mocked, and beaten. Have a look at verses 40, uh, 53 and 54, which set the scene uh, for this kangaroo court. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard at the high, of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. See, Jesus has been arrested because he'd been betrayed by Judas Iscariot. At the end of Gethsemane, we didn't look at this part, but uh, the chief priests and the high priests, the Sanhedrin, had sent a group of men with clubs, with uh, weapons, 
Jesus says, what am I leading a rebellion that you come like this? See, he's in a state of being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. His humanity, we saw last week, is in, shown in its fullness. This is real emotion. This is a real moment for him. Verse 43 says, Judas comes with this crowd armed, uh, armed with swords and clubs. See, Jesus, Judas then betrays him with a kiss. Jesus calls him out on that. See, Jesus is in an awful space. And then we have in verse 50 something that I think should impact us terribly. We're told, then everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone. Distressed, troubled, sorrowful, and now all alone. At the beginning of our passage, he is now standing before the most powerful leadership group in the Jewish nation. The high priest, the chief priests, elders, teachers of the law. These were the, the, this was it. This is the high court of Israel. Verse 55 says this is the Sanhedrin. You see, the great Sanhedrin was the high court. It comprised of 71 sages plus the high priest who sat as its president. There was no greater power in the eyes of the Jewish political and legal systems. And then the kangaroo court begins. Have a look at verse 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. We're told some stood up and gave false testimony. We heard him say, I'll destroy the temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build another not made with human hands. But even their testimony didn't agree. So there's always a bit of truth in all that, isn't it? Well, Jesus did say, break down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. But he was talking about his body. So the kangaroo court is in session but notice the verdict has already been made. Guilty. He's already been given his verdict. And his sentence has already been decided. We're told so that they could put him to death. This was an ambush. This wasn't justice. It's a setup. This is the powerful trying to seek uh, to destroy anyone who has a credible claim or any following which could undermine their power. So even though the evidence was obviously false, we're told in verse 60, the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. So I think the high priest probably didn't know a great deal. He's too busy in his, in his important office somewhere and people have come to him and said all these things about this man who's creating an uprising and claiming to be the king of the Jews. 
And so he's gone, we'll go and send some fellas and they've brought off Judas and then they've brought him back and now he's, he's watching this unfold and people are giving accusations which aren't true, they're contradicting each other and I think he's just like, let's just get rid of this guy. Enough's enough. And so he jumps into these proceedings because they're going nowhere. And he says, aren't you going to defend yourself? But from What? What's he meant to defend himself from? It's untruth. It's contradicting each other. There's nothing here. What is he defending? It's a dire situation. See, his friends have deserted him. Peter, the rock on which Jesus' church will be built, is in the courtyard at a distance pretending not to know the man. This is the rock on which the church will be built. See, it wouldn't matter what Jesus said right now, how much he pleaded his case, what he said, the verdict has already been made. And we've seen this over and over and over in the Gospels so far. When they saw his miracles, they said, well, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. When he forgives a man his sin, raises the paralytic from his mat and says, take your mat and go home, as proof that he has authority to forgive sins, they just start plotting to kill him. Nothing. When they saw the crowds following him, they were blinded to why, but open to their insecurities. They couldn't see him for who he was. It didn't matter the teaching that he had exposed which was false in them. The time that he talked about the resurrection. Well, whose husband will be be hers in the resurrection after she's married seven? They'd put him under the test the whole time and he's been found to be theologically strong. His miracles have shown his power. If they hadn't accepted the miracles, if they hadn't accepted his theological uh, prowess, if they hadn't accepted uh, the realities of who he is by now, they're not going to listen to him uh, when they pull him before the high priest. He's in a no-win situation. See, and as Isaiah foretold, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the sh- uh, slaughter and a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He said nothing, but then he did. Have a look at verses 61, the second part of verse 61 to 64. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, And coming on the clouds of heaven, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. So the high priest is cutting to the chase. All right, so this is what's going on. Are you that person? If you think you are, you're just going to say it. See, in Jesus' answer, in many ways, we have the climax of this whole gospel. Mark has been leading us to this point. The big question, who is Jesus? And finally, he makes a public declaration. 
But I want you to notice something here. The reason he speaks is he's put on oath. He's put under oath. So in Matthew, Matthew, uh, he records uh, the high priest uh, asking him, uh, saying, I'm putting you under oath of the mighty one. I am putting you under oath. And so Jesus is under oath. So under oath to the living God, his Father in heaven, he states clearly. And he says, I am. I am. Now we can read into this the... The, the nuance of uh, the, when, when Moses said to God, well, when the Israelites say, who sent me? And Moses gives him the name Yahweh. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And this is uh, the Greek uh, understanding of the I am, the great I am. Well, the other gospel writers don't record it this way. But I think Mark, in, a, in, in the way that his story is recording it this way to reinforce, but we don't even need to stay there. The second part of Jesus' response makes a statement so clear and powerful that there is no ambiguity at all about who Jesus claims to be. See, the question concerned by the high priest whether he was the Messiah and whether he was the Son of God. Very clear questions. And he responds by merging, by fusing two of the great messianic passages of the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 and Psalm 110 verse 1. It's in Daniel 7, and we looked at Daniel last year, I hope you can remember, but in the first six chapters we had the narrative declaring God's sovereignty. It then comes to chapter 7, which is smack bang in the middle of the book, and you could say verse 13 is the middle of the chapter, and then you have the prophecies that are highlighting God's sovereignty afterwards. And in this chapter 7, we have this great image of the the one who is worthy to enter into the presence of the Ancient of Days. He is classed as worthy. And chapter 7 verse 13 says, In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Jesus is saying, I am that one. This is why through the whole of the gospel he's been calling himself the son of man, his preferred statement here. But then verse 14 says, He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In other words, he is the Messiah. He is the one who is worthy to enter into the presence of God. He is the King of Israel that they're all waiting for. But notice the contrast here. Don't miss it. He's before the great Sanhedrin, the ones who claim to have been put there by God, basically as his authority on the earth. 
and before him is the one who stands over their authority, who has placed them in that authority to represent him on his behalf. He stands before them and what's their declaration? He is worthy of death. He's not worthy to go into the presence of God. He's worthy of death. But don't also miss that this is the pre-trial. This is the preliminary trial to try to find a charge so that they can be, he can be sent to the Gentiles for that execution order. Because look at how messed up this is. The Gentiles have all the authority. The Jews are under them. And now Jesus is under them. Look at how reversed that is in how the true authority is meant to function. And how are we going to take that authority and reverse that reflection of the great sin and the great tragedy that's happening here? Well, we need someone to take the substitution for the sin on behalf of all this problem. And the very one that sits above has put himself below. The first will be last. The last will be first. So that he can pay on behalf and say, Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. Can you see how messed up this is? I am. But look how blind they are. The presence of God standing before them and they can't see him. So what's happening here? Well, if you've never grasped the fullness of sin, you need to grasp it right now. This is exactly what sin does to us. We can't even recognize the Messiah. We can't even recognize God in the flesh standing before us. The blindness here. And they later blindfold him. Blindness blindfolding the Messiah. But see, Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, Jesus has just said, and you, see the Son of, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. Not just in his presence, but as a right hand. This is a fusion. A footstool. For your feet, Psalm 110 says. It's this order going to be reversed. Jesus' authority will be restored on the earth. When he goes to the cross, he is raised again. And we see in the ascension that he goes and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And last week we saw, if there is any other way, if there is any other way, please take this cup from me. Because the destruction, the, the despair, the loneliness, the great burden of carrying the sin of the world, the sin that we see, looking him in the face and declaring him only worthy of death rather than worthy of glory, being vilified instead of glorified, 
take this bitter cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. The humanity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, it's all coming out of us right now. And we see the order of creation completely reversed. But I want you to notice what else is happening around this. It's easy to go, well, yeah, that's the Jews. Well, look at Peter, the rock on which the church was to be founded. There's a reason Mark starts this section with him at a distance, warming himself. He didn't want to be identified. And the very next passage is him disowning three times. The rooster crows. And we're told Peter weeps. In fact, just to bring this together, back in chapter 8, do you remember when Jesus said, well, who do you say I am? I'm not sure if it's Mark. It might be another account. He says, the Messiah, the living God. You are the Messiah. But there's another point where Peter tells him he's not to go and he's not going to be killed. I think we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Don't, you know, you don't, don't talk like this. And he refers to him as Simon. That's his name before being re- re- called into the presence of, uh, of, of Jesus as the rock. Get behind me. These aren't the things of God. They're the things of man. See, and here he is again. And it's easy to look at Peter and go, well, look at that faithful, that, that's, just look at that unfaithful man. But everyone deserted him. And here we have Peter weeping. Why? Because he has realised the extent of this sin in his own heart. He's realised the extent of what's going on for him. And Jesus is taken and crucified. And where do we find Peter? He goes back to his fishing. See, all that's going on here is to show that the, the ravages of sin, the order of creation, it's all on show. And none of us are immune. We need a saviour. Well, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Remember his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Because he is the king of Israel. He is the one who will restore the kingdom on the earth as the, as the disciples kept asking him. But we see the suffering servant, the man of sorrows, the one who is led to be crucified on behalf of the sin of all those who have faith in him. We should see ourselves in this passage, not standing in judgment of the others, but standing in judgment of Jesus with the others. Because at some point in your life, you have to recognize and identify yourself as that. But here's the good news. None of this is outside of Jesus' control. We could easily say, well, he's brought this on himself. And, you know, he has. He could have done all sorts of things differently. But no, it is for this hour that he was coming. 
And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we're told he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. He was always heading for the cross. And the good news is that despite our disowning him, he has never disowned us. Never. Because love never disowned you. He has demonstrated his great love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see the great joy that we find in here, even though it should rip us apart, is that the one who we have been unfaithful to has always been faithful to us. The one who has set his face towards Jerusalem and even in all his humanity called out if there's another way was faithful to the end. But the end does not exist, you see, because he was raised again. He was vindicated in all that he claimed to be. He was shown to be the Messiah, the Son of God, everything that he said. And that beautiful statement, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Well, that is your God. That is your saviour. That is your Messiah. That is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who's been ascended, who has all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And so as your people, you've been given ambassadors. Creation has been restored in some respects in terms of theology. Jesus on the throne at the right hand of God. We have been grafted in by faith. It is the priesthood of all believers grafted to be his voice, his ambassadors on the earth. To go into the Gentiles, not to lord it over them, but to bring the good news. As Romans says, chapter 10, blessed are those who bring good news. To bring that Jew of heaven, the promises to Abraham to be a blessing to all nations, now happening in our midst. And as we look at who we were and who we wanted to call Jesus out for, and now who we know who he is and we've committed ourselves and we follow him, we can go in great humility because the first will be last and the last will be first. What a beautiful picture. But what an awful picture. And I think the verse that has always really hurt me the most out of this whole passion narrative, I can understand crucifying a man in many respects. But when you've condemned him, innocent, worthy of death, and then, verse 65, some began to spit at him. couldn't imagine spitting at anyone. They spat on him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him away and beat him. That's the extent of sin. But that is the extent of love. That is the extent of love. That is how much he loves you. He took that beating for you. He took that saliva in his face for you. He was likely stripped naked 
beaten for you. Couldn't even carry his own cross, he was so destitute. The anguish, the pain, the suffering, the humility for you. Please never forget that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together. Thank you that you suffered for us because you love us and because there was the gravity of sin upon you. And because you are faithful, because you are the God of love, who is love, and the God who in all ways has never disowned us, who will never leave us nor forsake us. Father God, we thank you. And we pray that we never forget what it cost for us to be saved from our sin. So Father God, as we move into this week, move us into faithfulness. Move us to be willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus and recognize that all that you give us is blessing. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.